Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about um, the story of, of, of Noah, also known as Noah, and uh, kind of what, what was going on, just in terms of the flood, how we're to understand the flood, the dynamics of it, um, some historical things that aren't as well known, and, um, and I just want to just open with some kind of more general kind of like uh, things to think about in terms of, in terms of this account. Um, you know, w- w- one thing that's striking is that we had, we, we had this, the, this period in, 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 in world history that all the geologists talk about where, where everything melted, all the ice caps melted and everything like that. So that's, that's recorded by, by everyone. And um, all different cultures have, have different uh, accounts of this. So, so that's, that's just striking, because we, as, 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 as much of a fable quality as Noah and the Ark has, we, we treat this as a very literal historical event that happened. And of course, it's completely surrounded by miracles, just how, it, how anyone could have survived it, and just one family that survived it, and all the, all the details that go on with it. And then if you say, well, wait a second, if we're talking about this as a real event, how are we explaining, like, all this, you know, fantastical um, stuff surrounding it? And the answer is because it was all miracles. I mean, that's just, all all those aspects of it were just miracles. It's just as simple as it is, because God could have just suspended Noah in midair and made the flood, or just just gotten rid of all the people. I mean, there, there, there is a a very definite... uh, plan that was being enacted. And so, since that plan seemed to be hitting the reset button and starting the world over, and of course that's very striking, because this is the second Parsha, the second set portion of the Torah that we read in the new cycle, the first one of course being in the beginning, Breshis, Genesis, and then we go right into restarting the world. So, that in itself is just very sort of like mind-bending, that the world has just been created, and now the first thing that we're doing is talking about the recreation of the world. And just to give you one thought on that, because I think that, that in itself I think is very deep. I think one of the things that God is telling us, because remember, we just started the, the new year. We celebrate the new year right at this period, and, and so it's very appropriate that we're reading about the creation of the world right now. Um, all of us are beginning again in our own personal lives because we have, we have a new world that's, that's a new soul, a new world. Everything is new for us right now. And there's a, a, uh, a dictum in the, in the Gomorrah uh, that says that all beginnings are difficult. And what's interesting about that is that the word beginnings is in the plural because a lot of times people will be very sincere and they'll say, I tried, and it didn't work. And you know what? They did try. They're not making it up. They actually did try, and it didn't work. But, you've got to try again. It's just as simple as that. You've you got to try again. And God is showing us, right in the very beginning of the Torah, God said, I made the world. And then God himself says, alright, I'm going to now try it this way. Because that way it didn't work. Now, of course, God is omniscient, God knows everything, and God 
understood that there were problems from the outset. It's not like God is saying, oh, got to roll up my sleeves again and, you know, just get better at being God. You know, it, that, that wasn't it. This was all, in his infinite wisdom, part of the plan. But a lot of it is what we're ready for. In other words, some people on a very superficial level want to understand this as God's failure. Because God created human beings and then human beings seem to just mess up entirely. And then God starts again by clearing out the world and beginning again with, with, with Noah. And by the way, there are a couple of instances where Hashem says to Moshe, like by the golden calf, for instance, and I believe by the spies, where God says to Moshe, you know what, I'm going to wipe out the world and begin again with you. And you can see that you can take God very seriously at his word based on this account with Noah, because that's exactly what God did. He just cleared out the world and started again with Noah. And he raised that as, an op- as a possibility with Moshe a couple of times. So, God is very serious. <laughs> very serious. You know, if, I heard from Rabbi Green one time, he, if you went up to God at any moment in the day and said, how are you, God? God would say, great, I'm doing great. So God is, the idea that God has a chip on his shoulder, or he's like, oh, God's in a bad mood, or whatever. No, God, God is always doing great. You know, there's no, there's no problem with that. The question is, how are we doing? And what, what, what is necessary for our spiritual growth and our development? And then sometimes it's, you know... Ice cream and candy, and other times it's not ice cream and candy. And it's, 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 it's really up to us. So, it, again, it wasn't God's failure, chas v'shalom, that's theologically impossible in terms of restarting the world. It was the fact that, that human beings had just, just completely lost track. Now, I, I want to go further into that point. So, just before we go on, this idea that beginnings are difficult. So, so we have to try and we have to try again. And that the, the very nature of beginning a project is to try and try again. And I just heard recently in the name of Rebbe Nachman of Breslov something so beautiful, which is that not only does a person have to try again every single day, a person has to try each day again anew multiple times a day. This is a very big idea, that a person multiple times a day has to begin again. Right? So, so that's, uh, that's the nature of the world. And the more that we know that, the more we realize that we aren't nuts, and we haven't just lost it, or we, whatever it is. That, that's actually just what the dynamics and the, the, the mechanics of this world demands from us to try multiple t- times again, every single day. Okay, so, so, so uh, we're, we have to be armed with that information, because then we, we understand um, the, the amount of strength that's, that's incumbent upon us, that's necessary, in order to accomplish even what, for other people, are very simple goals. You know, my dad used to say that common sense is uncommon. You know, sometimes he would say, well, how can that guy mess it up so badly? Isn't it so obvious? You know what? For you, it's obvious. 
For that person, it's not obvious. It, it, you know, so, so anyway. So let's get back to this idea because, you know, just about the flood itself. And y- you might fall prey to, again, I, I, I really feel that it's slander. You know, people will point to the fact that the flood came as, as you know, as, as an indictment, God forbid, of, of God and God's kindness. They'll say, well, look, he, he wiped out the whole world. I mean, that seems like a pretty wrathful God, doesn't it? Well, I mean, again, the ball was in our court. Did, did we live up to our responsibilities? That's, that, that, I think, is the more interesting question and the more compelling question. Um, but, but now I want to make another point. So, and I think that this will contextualize how God acted in this, in this, in this situation. And, and that's the following. And I'll, I'll just say it very clearly up front, but then I'll, I'll explain it. For us to understand something, which is, and this may sound obvious, but it's, it's not obvious, that the world itself has a purpose. The world itself has a purpose. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, imagine you have a piece of paper. And it's just a blank piece of paper sitting in front of you. And you say to yourself, well, this paper belongs to me. I can do whatever I like with it. I can crumble it up into a ball and play like, you know, a little homemade game of basketball, trying to throw it into the garbage can. Maybe I'll get it in. I can fold it up into a paper airplane and throw it. I can blow my nose into it. I can take some crayons and make a picture on it. The paper belongs to me, and I can do whatever I like with it. So most people think that that is their relationship with the world itself. That the world is basically... uh, a blank sheet of paper, and I can impose my will on the world, and whatever I want to do, hopefully I'm well-intentioned, and I want to make the world a more beautiful place, a more, justice, a more just place, and that's what I want to do, right? But it's actually deeper than that. The world itself has its own purpose, You see, the world is not that piece of paper which just belongs to you and you can do whatever you want with it and hopefully you're going to do something nice with it. The world itself has a purpose. God made the world in order to do something with it. And we are partners with God in terms of realizing that plan with God for the world. And when we completely lose sight of the fact that the world itself has a purpose. Think of the world almost as an organism. When we lose track of the fact that the world itself has a purpose, and we decide to do whatever we want to do with the world, then at a certain point, God says, you are not doing the right thing with my creation. You have lost track with what this is for. Therefore, we have to start again. Because this is not yours to do with whatever you want with it. We are partners in terms of perfecting this. 
There is a purpose to creation. There is a plan. And, and, and the most dramatic example of this is the flood. Because when humanity itself just got on its own program and completely got off board, then, then God said, well, wait a second, you know? This is not, this is, this is not what we're doing here. And then God started over. Now that's, that's, that's heavy. That's heavy. But that's, that, but that's important to know. Because we have to be a little bit more respectful of what the world is. And the fact that the world does have a purpose. And believe it or not, I think that if you went up to most, even educated people, and you say, does the world have a purpose? I think that I think that, that would be sort of a surprising thought. Once they actually understood what you were talking about. They would say, well, my life has a purpose. My life has a purpose in this world. But does the world have a purpose? Oh, I never really thought about that. It's a level, I, you know, people who are um, into uh, ecology and take environmentalism very seriously, they'll say, we need to be respectful of the environment and of the world and of nature because this is our home and we have to treat it properly. But that's not quite this idea that the world itself has a purpose. That's already a higher level of respect for the world. But it's, it's different from saying that the world itself has a purpose. So what is the world's purpose? The world's purpose is to be a beautiful, ongoing, open expression of the majesty and the greatness of God. And a reflection of the beauty and the majesty of each other. Where everything is in harmony. And everything is working beautifully. And we see, like, just the greatness of God everywhere. You know, I once heard from Rabbi Tatz a very beautiful definition of what Jewish beauty is. You know, Jewish beauty is that, that basically, you should see a person and it's that you should, see the, you should see God flowing through them. So that a, that, that a beautiful person is not... It's more than having a nice form, the person. It's that the person is a clear window through which you see the beauty of God flowing through them into the world, through, the, through their actions, through their personality, through, through their priorities. And so when the entire world becomes this window, when all of us become this window, where we can actually just, just see revelations of God's greatness and his infinity, that's, that's, that, that's where the world is moving toward. And that's the destiny of the world, by the way. The world is going to get there no matter what. The question is, how is the world going to get there? Remember, we have a very important, um, important foundation in Torah which is that none of the negative prophecies have to happen. All of the positive prophecies have to happen. So, so then the question is, just where are we holding? Because if we're holding on a high enough level, none of the negative stuff has to happen. 
So it's up to us again. Now I just want to make an aside, just something that kind of occurred to me on Shabbos, about uh, Noah's Ark for a moment. And then we're going to get into some, some deeper ideas. But this is just kind of, I'll just throw this question out to you and you can just think about it on your own. Which is that, given the fact that the world was annihilated, literally annihilated, isn't it interesting that there are pictures of Noah's Ark in children's bedrooms? <laughs> that it's Noah with a fluffy white beard getting a photo opportunity next to a giraffe, right? Like, you know, if you think about really the, the horror of the event, you know, not to overstate it, it's very interesting. Like, you would never put, I was thinking like of an example, you would never say, oh wow, here's the prophet Shmuel chopping the king of Agag into pieces. Let's like make a model of that and put it next to our son's bed, you know? Like, that, that would be great, you know? But is really, you know, putting a picture of Noah's Ark so different? I mean, if you just think about it on a conceptual level. So, so then how did that happen? Just on a spiritual level. Okay, forget about the idea. I understand it's boats and animals and everything like that. I understand on the here and now level. I'm talking on a deeper level right now. How could it be that this event, which is not a happy event by any, by any stretch, how could it be that that became a staple in children's bedrooms? And one answer that I heard that I thought was kind of beautiful, just to start you thinking, is that that, that was the beginning of our future, and children are our future. And so, so the two kind of go together in a nice way. That's one answer. There's no, believe me, there's no official answer to this, so you can come up with your own, your own theory. Um, so, so anyway, I want to go uh, deeper into the event itself. So, so I, I feel very privileged to be learning this um, this sefer new to me called the uh, Imre Noam. It's it's by the Jikover Rebbe, and that was the grandson of the Ropshitzer Rebbe, and he uh, was a very very great Rebbe, and. Um, I just feel very, very lucky to be able to have a chance to explore some of his, his, his Torahs. So, um, so he brings a Zohar that says that uh, when the flood happened, that God removed the letter Vav. So then the question is, what, what does that mean exactly? And now he, he, he begins to explore. So, so we'll talk about it um, on, on, on a few levels. You see, when you spell out the name of Hashem, and I always recommend that you do it like in a ladder form, top to bottom, because it really is like a map of, 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 of the universe. So you have Yud on top, and then He below, and then Vav below that, and then He below that. And of course, that bottom hay represents this world. And the vav, we know, is a, a, a connection. And, and then you have the upper hay and then, and then the upper yud. So we know when, when God created the world, and if we just read this in uh, Breshis, that God separated the upper waters from the lower waters. 
So these are the two He's. And if you remove the letter Vav, says the Jehovah Rebbe, that what that means is that the upper waters and the lower waters came together. And so that, that's, that's what happened. Okay? Now he goes deeper into this idea. And he says that this name of God, Yud and He and Vav and He, is actually a contraction, famously, of three words, which is Haya, which means was, Hove, which means is, and Yiye, which means will be. So the holiest name of God is this contraction of past, present, and future, which is an expression of, it's another expression of eternity or infinity. And by the way, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver makes a, a, a point, and I, I want to share it with you. When we talk about eternity, like was, is, and will be, we're not talking about eternity as we normally think about it. Because eternity, as we think about it, means endless amounts of time. But God is beyond the dimension of time. So when we talk about eternity, we're not just talking about the fact that God is within time. He's also, he also transcends time itself. And we know, in fact, that time was a creation. People just think that time was always there, that whatever it is. But I heard in the name of the Vilna Gong that when God said the word breishis, which means beginning, right? Like as in, in the beginning or with beginnings, that with that word, God created time itself. And of course, modern physics has now shown that time itself is a creation. That it actually has on, on some level, some form of matter to it. So, so we were, we anticipated these ideas by, you know, forever. We, we knew this. But, but, but let's get back to this contraction of three words. Haya, Hove, and Yiya. And remember, He's, the Jikovar Rebbe is bringing the, the Zohar that says that God removed the letter Vav. So now he's analyzing it from a different angle. So you can spell was, Haya, without the letter Vav. And you can spell Yiya, which means the future, also without the letter Vav. But the present, you can't spell Hove, which means is or now, without the letter Vav. So when God removed the letter Vav, he took away the present tense. And that's what the destruction was. There was no bridge from the past to the future anymore. There was no now now. And if you think about it, in sort of more kind of like modern psychological parlance, you see, the word vav is a connector. It, 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 it actually means, in, in, uh, in Hebrew, the word, the letter vav is actually a word, and it means a hook. A hook is something that connects two things. Grammatically, the word, the letter vav is and, and or or. That also connects two things. Okay, so the whole essence of vav is to connect. So, so, so the vav was removed, the now was removed, the present tense was removed. Now, when you talk about someone, when you say to someone, let's say you're talking to someone, and you say, I want you to be here now, meaning I want you to um, be present. 
right? Or aware, right? What does that mean? You're asking for that person to utilize this energy of the letter Vav to connect. Either connect to me, who, I'm talking, who you're talking with, or connect to the environment that you're in. But if they're not connecting, then we say, you're not here. Do you see? So, 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 so the whole present was removed by the removal of the letter Vav. And there was no connection anymore between the past and the future. There was no now, now. So, so let's go further into this. There's this amazing verse in the Torah. It's, um, it's in Breshis, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. I'll read it to you in English. There's so much packed into this verse, it's, it's almost frightening, because it just... Because I don't think this verse is, is so different from any other verse in the entire Torah. But when you see the crazy levels of uh, Torah that exist, you know, it's like, I mean, your, your head can explode. And again, what, what I'm trying to tell you is, we're just going to do a few things in this verse, but I'm telling you that what's going on here is going on everywhere. We just don't necessarily have the eyes or the learning to know it or to see it. But... but um. But anyway, let's go in. So it says, let me read it in English first. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Okay. So, so, so a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that when the flood happened, it was, it was, it was rain coming down from above, but there were also wellsprings that were like almost volcanically, but it was water, coming up from below. So it was, it was this combination. And the water was very hot, by the way. Okay? So, so you had water coming up from below, and then water coming down from above. And then the next verse is, And the rain was upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. Very famous verse. Now, Now, this is really interesting, because we, we kind of get locked into certain premises to our own disadvantage, and we don't really understand um, the elasticity of reality. You see, Mashiach really can come any day. If we get our acts together and we just just get better at life, to put it sort of simply, Mashiach will come today. You know, we 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 do ourselves a, a, a grave injustice by associating Mashiach when we talk about Mashiach with an individual. That's and no, God forbid lack of respect or, or, or covet to who the Mashiach is, but it's almost beside the point. The, the point is the era of humanity that's being ushered in. That's, that's the point. That's the point, that we're finally in harmony with, with the intention of creation itself. That, that's the point. When we talk about Mashiach, we're, 
Sometimes we're talking about an individual, but that's almost beside the point. We're talking about the next era of humanity. So, the reason why I tell you this is because our rabbis teach something which, which takes a while to wrap your mind around. Because you think, well, wait a second, this just sort of goes against everything that, I, that I've learned and that I know, just in terms of world history and chronology and everything like that. But the Torah itself could have been given and was supposed to be given at the time of Noah. And actually, who knows, probably could have been given way before then even. But this was a critical juncture for when the Torah could have been given. And now I'm going to show you where you see this in very surprising ways. The first is this verse. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Well, 40 days and 40 nights. What else happened 40 days and 40 nights? That was the amount of time that Moshe was on Mount Sinai getting the Torah. Okay? Not only that, but we say in terms of the transmigration of souls that Noah's soul actually became Moshe later on in history. Okay? So this, this great person, Noah, actually becomes Moshe later on. And of course you've got this very strong connection between the fact that Noah makes an ark to survive, and Moshe as a baby is placed into an ark in order to survive. On the water, by the way. But it's, it's more than that. It says in the Gemara that when you see any mention of water, really what's being talked about is is Torah. So, whenever you see a reference to water in the Torah, it's talking about Torah on a deeper level. So, so the point is, is that the Torah was coming down at that point for 40 days and 40 nights. But because the people, again, the bowl is always in our court, we, we think that the definition of religiosity is, I'll just throw the ball into God's court. And that is a very important step in, in terms of, you know, you know being a, a mensch, so to speak, being in terms of religiosity. You do throw the ball into God's court. But you know something? You know what happens? Lightning fast, he throws it right back to you. So we, as humanity... We're not holding on the level to receive the Torah at that point. And so the spiritual idea of Torah came down in its physical form as water and then just wiped everything out. Of course, we know that the dimensions of a mikvah are also 40 saw. And so there, what's being hinted here as well is that the world was turned into a giant mikvah in terms of its purification, in terms of getting back on purpose. What is Torah? Torah is the purpose of the world. Remember, on the deepest level, if you say to yourself, well, wait a second, I mean, I thought, like, you mean the Torah could have been given earlier? Yeah, the Torah could have been given earlier. How about the fact that the Gomorrah says that the Torah existed 974 generations before the world was created?
Well, when you have that in mind, you realize, well, of course the Torah could have been given way earlier. And what does that mean that the Torah existed 974 generations before the world was created? Does that mean that floating in outer space, there was no outer space, was a Torah scroll? That's not what it means. It means that God himself had an intention and a desire and a will for that which he chose to create. And the example that I always think of, just because it's, it's just so simple and straightforward, is you don't... If you're going to do something of significance, right? Let's say you're going to build a house, right? You don't just say, oh, here I am in Home Depot... I'll buy some planks of wood and some tile. I guess I'm going to need a few faucets and a shower door. Well, I'll just, you know, load up my shopping cart and build a house. Right? That, that's not how it works. You have a, a very detailed plan first, and then you enact the plan. God had a very detailed plan for the world before he made the world. That's what it means, the Torah as it existed before the world was created. Do you understand? This was, and then God did something else, which is really amazing. He then created the world out of his will and plan for the world. In other words, he took this stuff, the energy, this divine energy, this divine light, whatever it was, which was his plan, so to speak, for the world, and then he shaped it into the world. So that the physical dimensions of the world, the physical laws of the world, correspond and are made out of his will for the world. That's why when people say, no, you don't have an arm, and then God gave you the mitzvah of tefillin to put on your arm, you have an arm in order to put tefillin on it. Right? You have a house in order to put a mezuzah on it. So that's this idea that the whole world corresponds to the will of God and was made out of the will of God to implement the, world, to implement the word of God. So, so, yeah, the Torah could have been given then. Why not? Probably earlier, but this is the earliest instance that, that, I, that I know of. I'm sure... As I learn more, I'll, I'll find other ones. You know, they say, by the way, that by Adam HaRishon, by the first person, that he had two mitzvahs, to work and to guard the garden. And they say that all 613 mitzvahs were contained in those two mitzvahs. One was a positive and one was a negative. So, that's not exactly the same as receiving the Torah. It, it would appear that he... But maybe it was. He was given those commands and maybe that was the giving of the Torah right from the inception of creation. Right from the opening moments of creation. You, you, you see an example there of the Torah being given. But let's go further into this. So again, we have to reset and then I want to show you just a couple of very amazing things from the Jikovar Rebbe from this, from this verse. Again, it's, it's chapter 7, verse 11. So, so the Jikovar Rebbe brings a Zohar that says that God removed the letter Vav. And that the upper waters and the lower waters came together without that Vav, right? Yud and He and Vav and He. Without that Vav, the two He's come together and then 
you know, you have the you have the flood. Okay? So there was no vav. But Noah survives. So I guess there was a vav on some level, right? Noah was the vav on some level, since Noah survived, yes? Now look at this. It says in the 600th year of Noah's life. Let's read it in Hebrew. Sheish, meos. Okay? Sheish, meos, means 600. But if you take the Hebrew word meos, which means 100, and you divide it into two parts, the letter mem of meos is a prefix in Hebrew, which means from. And os means the word letter. So, sheish meos can be read as six from the letters. What's the sixth letter of the, of the, of the Hebrew alphabet? The letter vav. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, I have the chills, you know. Again, this is what I'm telling you. What, what is contained within the Torah? The infinite levels. That's why I always like to refer to the Torah as the infinite compressed into the finite. I mean, the, the, the levels of depth in the Torah are outrageous. Now, I'll give you another example. What did we say? That God was giving the Torah now, right? But because we weren't on the level, it came down in its physical form as water instead of as its spiritual form. So when it says this phrase here, that the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heaven heavens were opened, that phrase in Hebrew, right, which is, which is, the, which is the, the onslaught of water, instead of what? Torah, right? If you look at that Hebrew phrase, Tahom Rabbah Varubos Hashemayim, if you take the first letters of that phrase and rearrange them, it spells the word Torah. Tahom, Taf, Raba, Resh, Varubos, Vav, Hashemayim, Hashemayim, Hey. It's spelled, so you see right here when it's talking about the water coming down from heaven, it's spelling out the word Torah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, so what do we do with that? We see how important it is for us to be able to receive. And how important it is to understand that the purpose, that the world itself has a purpose. The world is driving toward perfection. And we have to keep pace with the, with the world in terms of the development of our own selves. Because when we get out of sync with what's going on, we, 
we, we risk getting run over, basically. And so, the problem is that when you, when you just try to live your life, even if you're trying to be a decent person, every single message that we're being sent is that this is one long cruise ship ride, and that the entire world is here just for our own pleasure, and just for our own entertainment. And that, God forbid, the, the most horrible, disgusting thing you could be in, in life is bored. <laughs> right? Like, oh no, you know, like, you know, like when my kids tell me, you know, not so much anymore, but they would say with this, this aching sense of, you know, you know, existential angst, I'm bored. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just keep on walking. Okay, good. You know, it's, it's okay, despite what that billboard says. <laughs> it's okay, you can be bored, you know. You know, I, I know that when I decided to do my best to stop speaking Lushan Hara, not that I was such a crazy gossip, but I just wasn't aware of the laws of trying to speak in a, in a nice way. I know that I became, to many people, a much less interesting person. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, you know? You know, you can find your entertainment from someone else. You know? And by the way, there, there, there's a story, I heard it from Reb Shlomo, that someone had um, was starting to read the, the laws of Lashon Hara and, you know, just speaking properly and that they were they're so exacting that they, that they thought to themselves that they're never going to be able to talk anymore. And they went to see the Chofetz Chaim, who wrote the book, and imagine that he was somehow this master of silence, that he didn't speak at all. And he spoke for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and so if you think that the Chofetz Chaim somehow was like very quiet because he, you know, knew all the laws of Lashon Hara and was keeping them, you're mistaken. There, there, there's no contradiction between, you know, talking and talking properly. How could there be, if you think about it? How could there be? You know, speech is one of the most exalted things in the word. World. Why would God create a world where he created this beautiful thing and then didn't allow you to use it, you know? Um, I, I, I once heard something, I don't know if I'm going to be able to just quote it properly, but the idea that, that, um, that, that sort of like more sort of pedestrian people talk about other people or things, but that more sort of elevated people talk about ideas. So if you want to talk about ideas and things like that, and there's certainly so many interesting news stories and developments in technology and science, and there's so much interesting stuff going on in the world, and it's also available, like on the internet and things like that, that if you want to talk about, if you like to talk, <laughs> there are good things to talk about. <laughs> I guess that's all I'm trying to say, you know. There's no shortage of, like, very wonderful things to talk about, if you like to talk, you know. Just try to use your speech properly, that's all. And believe me, I'm talking to myself as well. Um, okay, so, so that's, that's 
that's that's just a little taste of Noah, and and I don't I don't feel as though um, that any discussion of Noah is is complete without just kind of just going over one very central point about him, for me anyway, which is that which is that a lot of people um, I don't feel talk about Noah with the proper respect and give him the proper covet, and it's true that something went wrong. It, it is true, and it, it, it's, it's unfortunate that somehow he wasn't an advocate in the way that Moshe was an advocate, right? That, that's all true, and, and I'm not saying we understand it or that we can even blame him necessarily, because what I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Zohar was that this idea of prayer hadn't been revealed yet into the world, and to us, it's very obvious. But to Noah, it wasn't obvious. And what I mean by that is that the hallmark of righteousness at that stage was that whatever God says, you're like, okay, God, I'm your man. That's what you want. That's what we're doing. You want a flood? It's going to be a flood? All right. It's going to be a flood. Whatever you want. And the idea that sometimes God will show us something for us to say no to it, that there will be some injustice in the world, and it's there for us to stand up and say, this has to be eradicated. That idea, again, to us it seems so obvious, that idea isn't that obvious, actually. You know, if you look in the Gomorrah, um, there's a discussion between Rabbi Akiva and, and, and one of the Romans, and the Romans at that point thought that charity was actually something not religious. Can you imagine? What could be more of an act of religiosity, of kindness, than charity? Giving food to a hungry person. But listen to what the Romans said. He said, if that person's hungry, clearly God wanted him to be hungry. So who are you to upset God's plan by giving him food? And if you think about it, you could go, wow, that Roman is really religious. You, you could. You could make a case for that. But it's completely upside down. See, this is why we have to learn Torah in a proper way, you know, in a real way. Because sincere people can get some really ugly ideas. Really ugly ideas. So, so anyway, Noach didn't necessarily have the insight, it hadn't been revealed on a spiritual level yet, that you could say, God, no. And now, listen to this. It wasn't obvious to Moshe either. And again, I'm quoting to you from the Gomorrah. Okay? The Gomorrah says, that, that when God said to Moshe, after the golden calf incident, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people, and I'm going to start again with you. The next line is, um, the next line is, is, is God says, now, stop trying to stop me. And Moshe wasn't, Moshe just kind of like, what? Huh? I, oh, I'm supposed to stop you. 
And then Moshe prays for the Jewish people and God says, okay. But from there you see that even though Moshe was successful, that it wasn't obvious to Moshe either. So, so that, that's just a humbling thought, and that should give us more, you know, respect for Noah, certainly. And, you know, what, what, what he was up against in terms of these ideas not quite being revealed yet. Now, I want to maybe just end with this by revisiting this Pusach. I told you that there's lots and lots and lots in it. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month on the 17th day of the month. Um, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. So, so and this is from the Zohar, and actually the art scroll um, quotes it here on page 35. So, we see here that the Torah could have been given at this moment because the heavens were open. So that's, that's an expression that, 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 that the Torah could have been given, and we see, as we've gone over, more, more references to the Torah being given at this moment, right? But then the Zohar says that because we weren't on the level then, but since this happened in the 600th year, okay, the Zohar says, now this is, it's predicting this from, you know, a couple of thousand years ago. So it's saying, um, or... Yeah, approximately that. That in the sixth millennium, here, let me read it to you. In the sixth century of the sixth millennium, that that there will be another great opening. All right, now that's the years... Basically, 1739 or 1740, right? To 1839 to 1840. So, if you look at what happened during those years, the American Revolution happened, the French Revolution happened, that's when the Baal Shem Tov was going, the Vilna Gon, tremendous Torah was coming down like we hadn't seen in, in centuries was coming down. The scientific, the industrial revolution got off the ground during that period, which is the entire radical modernization of civilization got off the ground during that era. And it says that had we been worthy, way more would have come down. But it's amazing that the Zohar learns from this passage forever ago that that era was going to be another turning point for humanity. And again, just to tell you, what's in the Torah itself? How much is contained in the Torah? Just you have to understand how to, how to read it, right? So, so that's, that's, to me, that's very, very inspiring. All right, let me just close with this one thought. It's, a, it's from the Jikover Rebbe again, and we'll just, we'll just uh, conclude with this. He says that the word Mabul, which is Hebrew for flood, is the Gematria Chazdo, which means his chesed, God's kindness. So, on a surface level, you say, 
you know, like, um, <laughs> hold off on the kindness, if that's the kindness, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just tough it out, you know. So, so, but no, so what is, how do you understand that? What does that mean, that mabul, that the word for flood, actually means his chesed, his kindness? And the way I understand it is, is the following. You see, God is good, which means by necessity, everything that happens is good. The question is, are we there to be able to receive that level of good? Do we have the vessels to hold the blessing at that point, to hold the light? Or is it just such a great light that it just comes and it kind of obliterates us, basically? So, so clearly, in terms of our development as human beings, at this period in, 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 in human history, we did not have the vessels to hold the Torah, to hold His kindness. And so it comes down as a mabul. But the root of it was His chesed, chazdo, His chesed. And again, as we start this year again, and we're building vessels in our own life again, let's really ask ourselves, what blessing am I looking for in my life? Let's be specific. What blessing am I looking for in my life? And then ask yourself the question, have I built a vessel to hold that particular blessing? So, in other words, let's say I want to get married. But you know what? You can't say five words to me without me yelling at you. Uh, That's not a promising beginning for a marriage. I'm sorry. Or, you know what? You're talking to me, and all I can do is stare at my smartphone. You know, a husband or a wife needs a little more attention than that. So, So, let's practice with each other. Whatever it is, whatever blessing that we're looking for, let's make sure that we're constructing the proper, the proper vessel in terms of the refinement of our own personality and the building of our own personality in order to hold that blessing. And Hashem should bless us that we really should see just the total revelation of His chesed, not in the mabul form, but in the form where we like receive like really wonderful phone messages and emails and invitations and things like that. Okay. David, can I ask you a question? Yes. Sir.